Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Hey, welcome back. We have a really fun, well, I'm not going to call it fun. I don't think this topic is fun, Julie. Your topic is not fun. I'm not no, going to lie to but them. sometimes they're not, but they're still important. So there you go. Yes. You can always tell when it's a Julie-prepared topic because it's, <laughs> let's just be honest, not fun. Well, but the topic of today's show is something that's really critically important. You have to understand what we're going to be talking about. Julie spent six hours over the weekend preparing for this. She's um, we're working on an outline for the new Harris Rules book. It's not going to be. It's going to be Harris Rules Money. That's not going to be the name of it. But um, I told Julie it, that she should. She should tell the publisher that the title should be, "Get Rich or Die Trying," and then we'll have a picture of Fifty Cent on the cover with Julie. That's what my idea was, but she didn't like it. Yeah. No. So the new book's going to be all about essentially money, and it's one of those topics that we talk about on this podcast a lot. Um, we talk about wealth building. We talk about you know retaining your wealth after you've got it. Well, the topic today is going to be about credit, and it's going to be specifically about all the things you've always wanted to know about credit um, as pertains to yourself, your family, obviously, and your clients. So we're going to be drilling down really deep into that topic, so get ready to take great notes. I learned a lot. She was like updating me throughout the weekend as she was creating this uh, outline. I learned some things I didn't know, and I'm sure you guys will as well. But before we get to Julie's point number one, I remind all of you that you're all entitled to a free coaching call. And the free coaching call is going to put you in a position where you're going to have a very clear plan plan for the next 12 months as far as what you're going to do in your real estate business. And the next 12 months could be, you know, December through December. It could be May through May. It could be June through June. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is you've got to have a 12-month business plan. Our business plan is, without a doubt, the most comprehensive real estate business plan that there is out there, and we want to give it to you free. It was probably five or six years ago, well, <laughs> probably more like 10 or 15 years ago, Julie and I were out poking around looking for business plans for agents, and all we found was the typical mumbo-jumbo, what are your dreams, you know, what are your this and the other things, and it's just lightweight garbage mostly, it's just feel-good stuff, and, and so what we wanted to do is we wanted to create a real plan because we knew Essentially, a goal is a dream with an action plan, and goals must be written down, measurable, reviewed regularly. But really, the reason that most goals fail is because they don't have that action plan element. So what this podcast – I'm sorry, what the Real Estate Treasure Map, the business plan does for you is it takes you through the whole process of actually creating a viable business plan, something that you, okay, I want to accomplish this particular goal. Well, Julie and I, when we were creating this book for you guys, we actually told you how to go about doing it. We create action steps, help you work through it together. So I want to give that to you. And when you download the book, and it's free, when you download the book, you're also going to get the, um, and you're entitled to a free coaching call. Now, the free coaching call is going to be with one of our new member coaches. Obviously, they're going to help you work on your business plan, but also going to help you learn more about our premier coaching program. And all you've got to do to receive, there's like five other books we give you too, but the Treasure Map, frankly, is my favorite one because it's, you know, it's probably, 
I have yet to see anybody put so much effort into creating a business plan for real estate agents more than Julie and I have in this thing, and we just want to give it to you. So just text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996, and go ahead and do that now. While you're listening to us on your mobile device, whereas like 95% of you do, text the word Harris to 31996. And Harris, of course, is spelled H-A-R-R-I-S. So, Julie, what inspired you? I know you're writing the you know the new book, and we're working on different mm-hmm. chapters and content. So that in itself was inspiration. But beyond that, what inspired you to really make this a topic of the podcast? Why is this important for our listeners to listen sure. to this material? Good question. And my title was "Everything You Should Know About Credit for Yourself, Your Clients, and Customers." Can't really make it a very sexy title, but that those are the facts. Okay, what you should know. I think that the inspiration was the fact that I believe, based on even our experience, our clients' experience, their experience with their customers and clients, credit is such a massive mystery to most people. And, you know, if you were to interview 10 people, they, of course, would all say, well, your credit's based on whether you make your payments on time. Well, that's true. But did you know that that's only 35% of your score? I can guarantee you almost everybody listening didn't know that. I didn't know that. I thought, you know, you pay your bills on time, you're good. And yet, there are all of these different elements that go into your credit. Um, and there's even things like, you know, I hear part of the inspiration, Tim, was the questions that I get in our premier coaching when they've got somebody in contract, they've got a good job, they've got a good job history, their ratios seem fine, they seem like good, responsible, accountable types. When you put them in contract, they said, yeah, I think my credit's like 710, 720. And then they come through underwriting, and guess what? They have some kind of weird credit issue. Even though they probably pay their bills on time, there's something that's screwing up their deal. And then they try and fix it. Well, how do you fix it? It's not as easy as just you know send a letter, and then all of a sudden you have an 800 score. So I was inspired partly because the mythology of it and the confusion that surrounds it. And you know if you think about your real estate transaction, unless you're cash – this matters, right? Unless you're putting like 50% down or more, your credit is really a big piece of this. And it's also the data that they use to potentially charge you more, charge you points, give you a higher interest rate. So I think it's really beneficial to understand how it works so that you can then do something about it that has an impact. That's my long question to your, or answer to your short question. Sorry. Well, why are you apologizing? Go for it. Point number one. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, well, so people will refer to a FICO score, F-I-C-O. So what is FICO? It's an abbreviation for Fair Isaac Corporation. This is a company that offers, uh, the first company to offer a credit risk model with a score. Okay, it was founded way back in 1956. It makes you think, I always thought that must be a dude's name, right? Some wise old economist that came up with this or a university professor named Fair Isaac. It was actually named after two guys, Bill Fair and Earl Isaac, an engineer and a mathematician, who came up with this algorithm to give you a score. So how do they do it? We're going to really get into the weeds on that in a second. And interrupt me if I'm starting to speak crazy on (laughs) realtor talk here. But to create credit scores, FICO uses information provided by one of the three major credit reporting agencies. Who are they? Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. You guys all have access to them online, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. But FICO itself is not actually a credit reporting agency. They just compile the data and basically sell it to different entities who use the FICO score 
to determine credit. So the FICO score is that three-digit number between 300 and 850. So if you're ever wondering what the range is, 300 is as bad as you can do and 850 is as good as you can. Determined by the information in your credit reports. This helps lenders determine how likely you are to repay a loan. And of course, that affects how much you can borrow, how long the term of the loan is, and how much it will cost you in terms of interest rates and or points. So think of your FICO score as a summary of your credit report. Now, not all credit scores are FICO scores. There are many different reporting agencies, but here's why we care about FICO. That's why I wanted to concentrate just on the FICO part of this. 90% of lenders are using FICO. It's kind of the default credit score. So that's why it matters the most. Now, here's a question that your clients will ask you that you probably have asked yourself. We still have clients that, that are kind of putting things back together after suffering in the recession. Maybe they had some foreclosures or short sales or bankruptcies. Why do you feel sometimes like you can't easily impact your score? Why is it like a Rubik's Cube of, of how to fix things? Well, here's the thing. It's not just how often you've been late or how much you owe on loans and credit cards. There's an actual, I think personally, kind of twisted algorithm because they've made it so complicated. But this is part of what's frustrating when you're trying to improve your credit. It's, you have to dig for this information. So you might want to write this down. There's actually five factors that go into FICO scores, and they each have a different effect on your score. They also don't have equal weight, and they affect different people in different ways. How mystical is that, right? That, that sounds like you know an underwriter saying, no, you can't fix it that way because it affects you differently because of your situation. So here's the fact. FICO scores are calculated using a lot of different pieces of credit data, and it's, it's grouped into five categories, which are payment history. That's only 35%. Now, that's the biggest percent, so of course you have to be good on that. Uh, the next one is the amounts owed, which is 30% of your score. The length of your credit history is 15%. New credit affects you by 10%. And then what they call the credit mix of 10%. So we'll kind of break down all of these what does all this mean, okay? So as you can see, it's not like 25% here and 25% there. The biggest one is still your payment history followed by the amount owed, the credit mix and the new credit, and then uh, the length of your credit history. So let's talk about payment history. First thing that they wanna know, of course, is whether you've paid your past credit amounts on time. If you've ever looked at your credit report, it will give you a month by month you know, a mark if you were on time or not on time, it'll put an X if you were late that month, and then it will denote, was it 30 days late, 60 days, 90 days, or in default? So this is a major part of it, of course. They're trying to figure out the amount of risk that you are. Um, so note to self, of course, we're going to make, things, make those payments on time. But what about this 30% of the amounts owed? Having credit accounts and owing money on them does not necessarily mean you are a high-risk borrower with a low FICO score, okay? So take that into consideration. Just because you have uh, a lot of credit accounts, just because you owe a lot of money on them, does not automatically give you a crappy score. But if you are using a lot of your available credit, it might indicate to them that they are the big them, right, whoever that may be, that you can be overextended, and they will interpret this to mean that you are at a higher risk of defaulting. So that's one of those 
kind of, you know, like, what do you do with that information? Just because you owe a lot doesn't mean you're a high risk, especially if all of your payment history is on time. But here's where we get, and I didn't put this in the outline, Tim, but this is something that drives our coaching clients, our agents, our brokers crazy. And that's when they have to deal with what we call bank overlays, which are simply additional rules that certain lenders have had their, like their, um, you know, they're not, it, what is it called? Not loss mitigation. Help me out with that term. The um, risk mitigators, okay? So the, the people that look at the risk for the overall portfolio will say, you know what? For, say, Wells Fargo, 720 isn't good enough. If you have a 720 credit score, but you also have five rental mortgages and a student loan, we're going to make you put down 30%, not 20% even though your credit scores may be 720 because none of that makes sense, does it? Why do I have to put more down or pay points and or a higher interest rate when I've done everything right and I've got a good score? That's called an, a lender overlay. They don't make that obvious until you have to deal with it. So I'm going to take a break here, Tim, and see what you're thinking if you're not already asleep. No, I'm not already asleep. I was just thinking about a conversation <laughs> I was having with uh, – Actually, an old friend and coaching client, Chris Johnson, he and I were just uh, mm -hmm. texting this morning, and he was uh, sending me information about the 90-day auto loan defaults have spiked. Mm -hmm. And That's I was just thinking also, he, he and I were talking about the fact that the real estate price value, home value loss depreciation conversation, which is only happening on this podcast, it seems, is mm -hmm. not right. really making it to the mainstream news. And he and I were speculating as to the reasons why. Um, and here's what's kind of interesting. Uh, the, so what happens, and we know this from past behavior. This is meandering slightly from Julie's topic, but it is still interesting and very relevant. Mm -hmm. What happened from past behavior in the real estate crash is that when people had no equity in their houses, they stopped making the payment almost immediately. But they kept making their credit card payments, which is fascinating, because they knew they still needed the revolving debt to pay their bills even after they moved out of their house. Mm -hmm. But the only thing they kept, start, they kept doing was making their car payments because they needed a car to drive. But when you see a spike in the 90-day, um, essentially the default rate, basically, and auto loans increase like it has. I hadn't read the whole report yet. It was on mm -hmm. Financial Times, so I'm going to after the podcast. That's kind of interesting because it's, it's showing a, a change in the pattern of people's behavior. So why would there be a difference this time than the last time? Well, it's because, and this is what Chris and I surmise, because most people, even if they are uh, essentially in a house that's worth less than what they paid for it, and it's, let's just even assume that they know this, like Seattle, guys, you know, in, in the West Coast, you guys know what's happening all the way from the, you know, the Pacific Northwest all the way down to Southern California and San Diego and Orange County and all these places that, you know, were never going to, even during the crash, they were sort of immune, especially the coastal stuff, to real estate depreciation. It's not, that's not the case now. Houses are losing value all over the OC register in the real estate section. They're talking about that again. Same, uh, you meander up to, you know, Seattle, as I said, and you go out down to Miami. and you, So it's happening again, but it's not being publicized because people are staying in their houses because for the most part, unless the loan is obtained in the last, say, maybe three years, they have a lot of equity in the house still. Well, relatively speaking, they were required, as Julie said, to put down 20 or 30%, so they're not bailing on the houses. But in a cash crunch, evidently, the new thing it might be to bail on a car loan, which is, again, a bizarre type of you know, behavioral change, so we have to watch out for that. 
Now, what does and you should be monitoring is if you start seeing, uh, and you guys who are doing BPOs, you're going you're gonna to know before everybody else does. When you start seeing an increase in BPO orders, that's when you're, that is the canary in the coal mine. That is the absolute earliest indicator that there are dark times ahead for your real estate market. Because what happens is, and I don't think Julie's going to talk about this, but it is kind of interesting. If lenders see a drop in your credit score, you're making your house payment on time, everything's right, it's rain, but they see your credit score goes down by even like 25 or maybe 50 points. I don't know where the, the cutoff is. They're going to start wondering whether you're going to default on your mortgage, and, they, and that's when some, some of you guys get these BPO orders. You get these BPO orders for this house, and they don't tell you necessarily if it's, what it's for. It's oftentimes just basically spying on the homeowner. Well, I shouldn't say spying, but checking on the bank's Essentially, assets. Essentially, though, the sake that's of, what it is. Yeah, well, yeah. that is what they're doing. But, the, you know, the bank's checking on its asset and using the BPO order just to make sure everything's, you know, they're sending you by basically to make sure the house is uh, still occupied and, and, you know, take pictures and all that. They're monitoring. It's um, a preemptive so these are the type, It is. And the banks will often do this type of thing months, months ahead of time, knowing that there's going to be a possible, because again, they're, they're tracking their little algorithms, looking for behavioral changes, and the credit score is one of the earliest predictors of potential problems ahead. So why am I telling you this? Because we're seeing a pattern of behavior that's certainly starting to emerge with these auto defaults that are maybe an early indicator that we are definitely going to see an increase in mortgage defaults. When will that happen? If prices continue to depreciate, then you'll, when people, here's where it gets interesting, guys. When people see, when they wake up and they realize that they're underwater in their house and they have no equity left. So if you bought a you know a million dollar house or a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar house, you put down thirty percent and it depreciates ten percent, you're probably not moving. You're not going to abandon that equity that you still have in the house. Twenty percent, you put down thirty percent, you're probably staying put. Okay, it goes down by thirty percent, and you put down thirty percent, you're probably thinking I'm going to leave. Because the house itself, even though you need a place to live, you can probably rent a similar house for less money and not have to you know, have the same carrying costs of a, as a homeowner. This is the logic that we know that this is the sort of the decision-making pattern that people – the decision tree, if you will, that people go through when they're looking at no equity in their properties based on the previous crash. So that's what's kind of fascinating. As soon as people get into a near underwater or underwater uh, status in their mortgage, they hit the eject button. And this happens continuously, and it's very, very predictable. So be monitoring all these types of things. We're not trying to scare you guys, but we're trying to have mature adult conversations with entrepreneurs and business owners so that you will be way ahead of the curve when it comes to understanding what's going on in your market. The first stage in wealth building, by the way, is mastery, mastery of a particular topic. And this particular topic, for those of you who listen to us every day, is becoming a real estate expert, a true one, not a bullshit one just because you bought a badge, but something that actually makes it so that you can have a, you know, a conversation like this with a stranger and be able to disseminate information that has a meaningful impact, positive meaningful impact on their lives. This is the very thing, this type of information, this level of thinking is the very thing that will give you the confidence to start having conversations that, you know, at, with so sellers that you wouldn't normally want to talk with, explaining to them why their house value is going down, things like this. That's the purpose of our coaching program. We're not just trying to make you feel good. We're not just trying to basically give you raw, raw. We're trying to give you actual information that will put you in a position to become an expert because without being a true expert, 
um, when it comes to specifically representing sellers, you're never going to have an opportunity to build wealth because you'll never have enough business and never have enough profit to actually save and actually become rich where your money works for you. You no longer work for your money. By the way, guys, definitely text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996 so you can download the real estate treasure map, fill in the blank 2020 business plan. Actually, it'll probably take you through 2021, too. So go ahead and text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Julie? Yes. Okay. So all of this is related. You know, it made me think about the the uh, banks watching what's going on with overall credit and how they change their rules. And this is all sort of a sliding thing that we all figure out as the markets change. So it is something to keep an eye on all that reporting. Um, the length of credit history. Well, what does that mean? It accounts for 15% of your credit score. In general, a longer credit history will increase your FICO scores. However, even people who haven't been using credit for very long may have high FICO scores depending on how the rest of their credit report looks, okay? So your FICO scores take into account how long your credit card accounts have been established, not just credit cards, but credit accounts in general, including the age of your oldest account, the age of your newest account, and an average of all of your accounts. It also takes into account how long specific credit accounts have been established, like what type of, how long have you had your oldest mortgage, or when was the first time you had a mortgage, how did you do with that, when was the first time you had credit at all, maybe it was a student loan, how long has it been since you used certain accounts, <clears throat> excuse me, all of that goes into the length of the credit history. This is why sometimes our millennial clients don't get as good of a deal because their credit hasn't been around long enough to establish what kind of a risk they are. Okay, um, This is why some of your clients will use utility bills to substantiate their, responsi their responsibility if they haven't had a mortgage or they haven't had a credit card. So there are ways around that. What's the credit mix? Well, that's 10%. FICO scores will consider your mix of credit cards, retail accounts, installment loans, finance uh, company accounts, and mortgage loans. You don't have to try and game it by trying to have one of each of those. But, for example, an abundance of unused credit cards can actually work against you. So why is that? Okay, Let's say that you've got five visas, and altogether they add up to $75,000 worth of available credit. And you either keep them paid off or paid down, but they're all active. You're going to actually have a worse credit score than somebody who has only three credit cards with them paid down to only 30%. I think that's a little bit crazy, but that's how it is, okay? So that credit mix, you've got to look at, you know, maybe not having everything in one bucket, okay? Um, new credit. Research shows that opening several credit accounts in a short amount of time represents a greater risk. This is also one of the things that um, risk management people look at is, opening a whole bunch of credit at once, especially for people who don't have a long credit history. This is how some people try to establish credit quickly. It actually doesn't work that way. So if you can avoid it, try not to open too many accounts all at the same time. Now, why do you care as our listener who is a real estate practitioner for the sake of your clients? I'll tell you, big black hole on this one, okay? New credit can actually wreck a closing. Note to self, this is a common issue that buyers create for themselves when they're in contract or when they're pending, okay? 
They go to get new credit at furniture stores. They buy a new car or a boat, Home Depot card, et cetera. And then the underwriter checks credit two days before closing. It's changed, and the credit's usually gone down. So advise your clients to leave their uh, credit alone until after they close. And I'm going to toss it back to you, Tim. I guess Tim is dealing with uh, something at the door. Okay, no worries. So, again, the, the biggest thing for you guys to look out for is somebody pending going out and opening up, like, Home Depot, um, you know, things and uh, wrecking their credit. We used to have people that, you know, they were going to go live on Buckeye Lake, and so the next thing they did was go finance a boat. And then all of a sudden the underwriter says, oh, well, now your ratios suck because you added an $800 a month payment to your credit. So be careful about that. Now, FICO scores consider a wide range of information in your credit report, as we discussed, but there are things that you might think that they um, have into account, but they don't. So, for example, what does not matter to your credit? Your age, your occupation, uh, if you're in a credit repair plan, that's the other thing. People think if they sign up for a, like a credit counseling plan that their credit will improve. That's not true. Your race doesn't matter. The area or city doesn't matter. Child support oblig obligations actually do not count. How much money you make doesn't count towards your credit, your salary, or otherwise your commissions. Doesn't matter. Doesn't affect your credit score. Um, what are the rates being charged on existing credit? That doesn't matter to your credit report. Um, and then certain types of inquiries. All right, so here's another little black hole that people get into with credit. Um, your, everybody knows that when your credit is checked, it can be impacted by three to 10 points, okay, typically. Sometimes we've seen more, but generally it's three to 10 points. Now, your scores do not get hurt from consumer-initiated inquiries. That's what they call it at FICO, quote, consumer-initiated inquiries. Requests that you've made for your credit report in order to check it yourself. So like freecreditreport.com. Uh, at mint.com, you can check your credit. I know American Express has a widget that you can do on their, like where you go to pay your bill on Amex. That will not hurt your credit when you were the one who initiated it. They also do not count, quote, promotional inquiries. These are requests made by lenders in order to make you um, like a pre-approved for a credit offer or for administrative inquiries, requests made by lenders to review their, your account with them, okay? That doesn't count. Requests that are marked as coming from employers are not counted either. So uh, sometimes the military will check a credit score. That's not going to hurt you. That's not going to drag your score down. Okay, so, and, and maybe we'll continue this into tomorrow, perhaps. But the next topic is, so how do I fix my credit score? I'm going to run out in about three minutes here. How do I fix my credit score? How do you actually improve it? Well, so here's the thing that is sort of uh, annoying but true. There is no magic easy button solution to just fix your credit, okay? There's no one thing you can do that just absolutely takes care of your credit situation and bumps you up into that next category. The best way, to, <clears throat> excuse me, the best way to improve it is to manage it over time and to be intentional about it. But here are some, some good methods for you. Okay, so steps to be improving your FICO score. Check your credit report for actual errors. 
carefully review it uh, from all three credit reporting agencies. Some of you guys have had yourself, and I've heard uh, dealing with your clients, where the three different reporting agencies can be as much as a 120-point difference. So why is that? You've got to find out. Maybe some, one of them has something erroneous, or they haven't actually recorded something being paid off. So check it for errors. Dispute inaccurate or missing information by contacting the individual reporting agency. Remember, FICO is not a reporting agency. It's the individual ones like TransUnion, for example, that you want to fight it through. Okay, so each of those websites, and if I go back to who those are, I'll give you them in a second, um, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Each of them have websites and each of them have FAQs about how to actually fight something that's wrong or not recorded correctly or not recorded with the right date on it, stuff like that. Okay, so remember, checking your own credit report doesn't impact your score. Next, of course, pay your bills on time. Making payments on time is 35% of your score. Past problems like missed or late payments are hard to fix. So again, over time, it makes a difference. I'm not sure if you're back yet, Tim, or not. You can join me if you are. Okay, so next, if you have missed payments, obviously get current and stay current. Poor credit performance will not haunt you forever, but the longer you pay your bills uh, on time after being late, of course, the scores should gradually in increase. The impact of past credit problems on your FICO score fades as time passes and as recent good payment patterns show up on your credit report. Here's another little known fact uh, right out of the land of short sales. People who had better credit scores actually were hit harder in terms of the uh, point decrease once they were in default. So I think, you know, Based on the stuff that I read about that, that's if you already had bad credit and then you default, you don't have as far to go. So I don't know, you know, that's, some of that's probably changed, but keep that in mind. All right, be aware that paying off a collection account will not remove it from your credit report. It will stay on your report for seven years. Paying off a collection account does not remove it. It still shows up. If you're having trouble making ends meet, contact your creditors or actually see a legit credit counselor. It won't rebuild your credit score immediately, but you can start to manage it. Maybe you change your payments. Maybe you renegotiate something. That's better than just being behind, obviously. So I'm running into my premier coaching time. I'm going to turn this over to Tim to wrap it up, and I will see my premier coaching members shortly. So we're going to wrap, and we'll continue with a little bit more of this tomorrow about what to do about your credit. And then we'll change topics on you uh, by Wednesday, probably. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. Thank mm -hmm. you.